Thank you, uh, Karen, very much indeed. Thanks, everybody, for uh, uh, birthday wishes and, and so on. Uh, everything's moving just a little bit slower uh, since, and uh, if you can bear with me. But then uh, you know all about that, don't you? So uh, there we are. We're, we're now in it together. Uh, here we go. Unanswered prayer. We're starting a, a new section in our series on prayer uh, together this morning. There's such contrast, isn't there? Contrast between what the Bible says about prayer and what so often is our experience, our experience about prayer, even though we're in the middle of a, a series on prayer, is that it can be a great struggle. Perhaps one of the greatest struggles of our Christian lives. Instinctively, something tells us that if we got this bit right, everything else would fall into place. But getting this bit right seems so often to be beyond us or just around the next corner, and if only I tried a little bit harder, and all of that kind of stuff. And we're in good company. The disciples, after spending three years with Jesus, after saying, uh, above everything else, Lord, the one thing we need you to teach us is to pray, at Jesus' most crucial moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to his disciples, hang there and pray for me for a while only to go back and find them asleep. That's where these verses come from, uh, found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? Could you not tarry, says the older versions, perhaps the King James Version, could you not tarry with me, those famous words, one hour? Could you not just hang in there a little bit longer? Manifestly not. And that's so often my experience, and if you're honest, it'll be so often yours, that you couldn't just hang in there. It became too much. And so we look to these promises in the distance and wonder whether we'll ever find ourselves asking and receiving, whether we'll ever seek and find, whether we'll ever knock and find doors opening. Your life might so often feel like it's characterized by asking and receiving nothing, seeking and still not actually finding what you're after and facing doors that seem all too often closed. And so the promises just keep coming, just in, in Matthew's gospel about giving good gifts to uh, uh, your children. Well, if that's what you're like, then imagine what God might be like. Uh, and then things about two or three people agreeing on earth, then God will do it. And, uh, uh, and then just, just believe and you'll receive whatever you ask. And so we have the great struggle and the great promise. And so often they're far apart, which is why... <clears throat> Uh, we're, we're on the journey that we're on. And we're on a journey. It's a journey of uh, discovery. It's a journey of trying to break this cycle of unbelief that kind of says, when I pray, I do not expect much to happen. <clears throat> Therefore, what motivates my praying is so often a sense of guilt. I pray because I know that I should rather than because I expect it to make uh, a difference, uh, motivated by uh, almost a kind of superstition that goes, well, if I don't pray, then bad things might happen, almost like the way you might, uh, what do you do, touch wood? Or some of you more accurately go touch wood. You see, what, 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 what are you doing? You're saying, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep all my options open here. And we come to prayer like that, we better not give it up just in case, but we don't really believe it in, in its positive effect on our lives. But it's something that we learn. Who wishes they could drive? Who drives and wishes they could drive? 
Who drives? Who thinks the person next to them needs to learn how to drive? Right, okay. Uh, um, The South Korean Times last year, uh, I read the South Korean Times daily, as you appreciate, South Korean granny fails driving test 771 times. A dog South Korean grandmother has failed a driving test 771 times, police said Thursday, but a local newspaper reported she will keep trying. The 68-year-old, identified only by her last name, Cha, has taken the test almost every working day since 2005 in the southwestern city of Janugia. She failed again Monday for the 77th, 771st time. It was a record-breaking number here, said Chua Yong Chol, a police sergeant supervising the test in the city. I wonder if you'll try it again for a 72nd time. Apparently, yes. She's back for another attempt. Now, uh, we might admire her persistence and her perseverance. Uh, maybe in repeating her test she wasn't exactly learning anything uh, and that's kind of what bothers me on these kind of journeys you see what bothers me really if I'm perfectly honest is am I praying more am I praying more now than I was in the beginning of January you can ask yourself that question for a moment honestly you're praying more now than you were in January Yeah, I'm waiting for an answer. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. And this is going to illustrate the core of what I think we're about this morning, you see. For me, uh, and it's all, about, it's, all, all, it's all about me in that sense, it's all about what God needs to teach me before it's any of us. We can do everything there is to do with prayer and not actually pray, not actually be on this journey. So we looked at the, uh, in the first part of our series called Getting Our Bearings, uh, and we looked at how prayer was all about a relationship with Father. So are we closer to Father now than we were in January? If I'm not any closer to Him, if I'm not any closer to Him, then, then my prayer life will not have changed very much. And I was scribbling just as I heard. You know, as you hear the passage, so this passage that I'm preaching on this morning, I just hear it read in church. And I'm scribbling because I can hear things there that I hadn't heard uh, until now this morning. Uh, and one of the things that, that, that over the last couple of days was, 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 was really impacting me about this passage, and I'm jumping to the end of the sermon, but hey-ho, may as well kind of tell you what happened at the end so you don't sit there in suspense, is, is, is an, unless we get close to God, we will never understand unanswered prayer. The remedy to unanswered prayer is not having your prayer answered, but it is being with the one you can trust in the moment when that prayer isn't answered. I haven't articulated that very well, but I think that's profound. When heaven is silent, what we do not need is to, at the end of the day, is to reason out why heaven is silent. Heaven is heaven. As Ecclesiastes says, God's in heaven, you're on earth. In other words, God's in heaven, you're on earth, shut up. That's the inference. God's in heaven, you're on earth, deal with it. When heaven is silent, understanding why heaven is silent, I don't think helps us very much, even if we think we ever can. But being close to heaven in those moments is the greatest gift. And maybe that's all there is for us to hear this morning.
that in those moments when we long to work it out, why is heaven silent? Maybe that's not the question we should be asking. But the question we should be asking is in that moment when heaven seems silent, do I know in the core of my being that heaven is still here? And some of the most profoundest stories, the greatest, deepest testimonies that have ever come out of our Christian faith have been people that have known the presence of God even when they do not understand why God would not be doing what they think he should. And we need to get back to that place. So it's all about relationship with Father, and it's all about going on this journey, the, the second uh, uh, section of, uh, of lessons in prayer, of learning stuff uh, together, which takes us right in to James as we begin this section on unanswered uh, prayer. And, and James kind of opens it up, verse 2, if you've got it there open in front of you, uh, please do. Uh, uh, James 4, verse 2, page number, it's a big page number, a thousand or something. James 4, verse 2, you want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have. You do not have because you do not ask God. Let's pause there for a moment. You do not have because you do not ask God. The most common cause of our unanswered prayer is our prayerlessness. And it's not that we don't surround our lives in prayer-type things. If I said, how is your prayer life, you might talk to me about what we do at church, or you might talk to me about what you do in your small group, or you might talk to me about what you do in your own uh, quiet devotional time. You might refer to your prayer journal, which has got the lists of things that you're asking of God. But if you strip all of those away for a moment... In the midst of it all, how many times have you really, with your heart, cried out to God for some of those things? Nothing like as often as I should have would be my answer. In the busyness of my praying, all the paraphernalia that goes with it, am I actually, truly asking God in an open, honest way? And what my concern is for our journey together is that we can surround ourselves in prayer stuff. We can do prayer triplets and prayer this and prayer that and we can sign up for Jonathan's prayer email and we can uh, do whatever it is. All those things are good. But if at the end of the day I'm not praying anymore, then where do they leave me? Nowhere further forward. I wonder if we've read books on prayer with more enthusiasm than we've actually prayed. And it's a challenge to our hearts. And that's what James seems to be saying here, look in verse 2. You you want something, you want something, but you don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, true. So what do you do? Well, you kill and covet You quarrel and fight. In other words, because you don't get what you want, you start taking the situation into your own hands. And that's what human beings have been guilty of all of the time. I don't get what I want, so I will manipulate for it. I will push for it. I'll strive for it. I'll shove. I might elbow a few people out of the way for it. I will take it into my own hands. I'll do anything but the ask of God 
I'll sort it out. I'll push and I'll shove. I'll kill and I'll cover. I'll quarrel and I'll fight until I get what I want. And I wonder whether there's things that you want in your life. And actually, if you look back over the last months, well, what have you been doing to achieve that? Most of your effort, if you're like me, has probably gone into the pushing, the shoving, the fighting, the manipulating. <clears throat> of course, we don't call it all of that. We call it strategy and good stewardship of our time and our effort. But actually, we're just kind of elbowing our way through to what we think we want. And James says you can do that if you like. But in the end, you don't get because you don't ask. And it's a, a long way away from what, prayer, uh, from what Paul was encouraging uh, the people. This verse we began with right at the beginning of this series. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, push, fight, shove, manipulate, twist, turn, pull, no. But in everything, prayer and petition and thanksgiving to God, present your requests to him. So I wonder about the things you feel you haven't got yet. I wonder if you're seeking after them is much more about the push and the pull of what you can achieve humanly than it is the relying on God. If we would put just a little bit more of our energy into the praying and a little less energy into the shoving and the pushing, maybe we'd have a very different results. So I expect with countless issues in our lives as we say we are praying about it and as we put it on our prayer lists and as you say to someone who leaves church this morning, I'll pray for you. Easy thing to say, isn't it? I'll I'll pray for you. Maybe we talk about it much more than we actually, actually do it. I don't know what it is for you. What what are you desperate to see change? Relationship with your kids? Is it your marriage? Is it what you feel your purpose in life's about? What are you desperate to see breakthrough in? And you might be so desperate that this is the year I'm going to, and you're pushing and you're shoving and you're pulling and you're... You don't get because you don't ask. It's a bit of a Korean theme going on here. In Korea, in the 1980s, every single Friday night, from 8 o'clock till 7 the next morning, uh, 10,000 people gathered to pray. And they prayed that God would take the church ministry by storm. Every Saturday, several thousand people would go up, as I say, sometime uh, up again, uh, what became called Prayer Mountain. Uh, They had 100,000 members in their church. Not bad. And they prayed together. And then there were 450,000 members in their church. Not bad. That's a big photo directory. Would all the photos for that photo directory fit on a single computer? Who cares? They said... We can push and we can shove. We can kick and we can scream. We can manipulate or we can pray. And it speaks to my heart. Because every human thing in me, and I think I'm not too different from you, would prefer the kicking and the shoving and the manipulating and the moving because it kind of feels like... Are you one of those people that actually will go a different way? It might take you a bit longer because you're stuck in a traffic jam, but at least that way, and you'll justify, at least we're keeping moving. You said that? What a ridiculous thing to say. At least we're keeping moving. We're not going in the right direction. We're going around in circles. But hey, it's better than sitting in the jam. At least we're keeping moving. We want to be sorting it and fixing it. And No. You quarrel, you fight, you push and you shove. You don't get because you don't ask there at the beginning 
of James. So easy for prayer then to get squeezed out. So easy in everything that you do. In your small group, you can do everything with great enthusiasm until it comes to praying. In my life tomorrow, there will be everything to do except sit and be still in God's presence. Won't there? Everything. There'll be everything that'll seem so much more important. So much more necessary. The deadline will seem so much more urgent than to sit and to pray. Am I strange? Come on. (laughs) Don't leave me hanging too long. Too long. You'll have 101 things to do but we'll fight for your time tomorrow and we'll say to you, better to push and to shove, to manipulate, to quarrel, to fight than to sit and to pray. And to sit and to pray. What would doing less and praying more look like? Ah! Nothing would get done. Really? It's not what the Bible says. Push and fight, quarrel and shove. And it's the same with everything. In our church life, we can squeeze out the prayer because it's much better to do everything else that needs doing. So where are you in the journey? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Far from the whole story of unanswered prayer. But it's hard and it's painful. And Ronald Dunn puts it really well, I think. He says it's like this. God did not answer the two biggest prayers of my life. I wanted those more than all the other answers put together. And I would gladly have forfeited them all for those two. I was surprised, bewildered, and hurt. Most of us in the room know what he's on about. I was surprised because I knew God could answer them. He'd given Kay and me a promise. We had a word from God and we'd done everything we were supposed to do. We believed, prayed in faith, confessed, claimed, pleaded the blood, rebuked the devil, thanked God in advance for the answers. We even fasted. God had always answered plenty of prayers like that before. I was bewildered because I was writing a book on prayer. I was traveling the country telling people how to pray and helping churches establish prayer ministries. My own church's flourishing prayer ministry was attracting attention from distant places. I knew how to pray. Prayer was my speciality. I was hurt, angry, because God had betrayed me. Like Jeremiah, I wanted to say, Oh Lord, you entice me, and I was persuaded. He had strung me along, tantalizing me with big answers to small prayers. But when the big one came along, nothing, no answer, no explanation, nothing. Heaven was silent. My prayer life shriveled. When I tried to pray, those two unanswered prayers hovered over me like two grinning demons clacking. What's this? Are you praying again? It didn't do much good last time, did it? You're wasting your time. The prayers died in my throat. I think I felt like C.S. Lewis must have felt when he wrote, Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, if you turn to him with praise, you will be welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? 
a door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. But God didn't let it end like that in my life. He pursued the rebel, loving him, tutoring him, until he understood that he would, what he would never understand. I learned that my feelings were a result of ignorance on my part, not indifference on his. God is bigger than our theology. Our concept of prayer does not bind him. God makes no terms and gives no promises that paralyzes his sovereignty. Interpretation or application of Scripture that does not leave God's sovereignty intact is a wrong interpretation. My expectations do not bind him. My wish is not his command. And you're left hanging because heaven is silent. Where do you go? What do you do? Well, there are some things to explore and then finally there's somewhere to go. Sometimes God will say when heaven is silent, no, no. It's funny that, isn't it? It's funny because we think the world and we look at it from our perspective. And it's quite a shock when somebody says no. Bigger shock when God says no. Sometimes God will say slow. Say this is coming, but hang in there. This is coming, but hang in there. Slow down. All in good time. Sometimes God says grow. It will come when you are ready. If slow means it will come when God is ready, grow means it'll come when you are ready. I want to give this to you, but you are not ready for it yet. As we were praying before the service, someone was using the illustration of, uh, of the, the lottery. Not that we believe in the lottery or that you should buy a ticket. So if you do happen to win, that will be a surprise to both of us. Give me the money and do not say anything about it. <laughs> I've forgotten the point now. After that, little flurry of lots of money coming for no random particular uh, uh, reason. Uh, uh, But the whole point was about if God was to give you that much money, he would need to know that he could trust you. The particular person in question gave away everything that they won. I'm not going to ask how they won it, but just hear that part of the story for a moment. What, what, what would it mean for God to answer this prayer? And if he did answer it in all his glory, in all his sovereignty, would I be spiritually big enough and ready enough to cope with it? And sometimes God says, Simon, no, you're not ready for that. Ouch. Ouch. But I need to know. And then other times, the best times are when God says, go. So some comments about this first one as we come into land this morning and spend some time praying together. God says no sometimes because we're asking for the wrong thing. We're asking for the wrong thing. And uh, there's a a, a lovely example of that. Uh, The story in the Gospels of the Transfiguration. Remember, Jesus goes up the mountain with Peter, James and John and there uh, Jesus is transfigured. He becomes, the glory of God comes down. He's in shining, brilliant white and and next to him uh, appears uh, some of the greats from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. Uh, And Peter is really excited about what's going on. So he makes what appears to be a very spiritual request. Why don't we build three tents here so that we can stay? Why don't we savour this moment? Why don't we mark it in some way? And Jesus said, no, no, no. Because what was on Peter's heart 
was much more about let's just seize this particular experience, let's treasure it for ourselves, when the whole point of the mountain was to go back down into the valley. And so whilst Peter was asking for, seemed from Peter's perspective, such an obvious thing, this is such a great moment, Lord, let's seize it and mark it and treasure it and hold on to it, God says, no. Asking for the wrong thing. And aren't you glad that God says no sometimes to your prayers? It was, um, uh, uh, Heather showed that clip, didn't she, from that film, Bruce Almighty? Come on, chaps. Evan Almighty? Which one? Bruce. Bruce Almighty. Cool, these old people over here spend all the time watching the film. You young people, you're too busy working. Goodness me. <laughs> Goodness me. Okay, so, uh, uh, Bruce Almighty, uh, he becomes God for a while, which is an interesting kind of story, just for a while. And he gets so fed up with trying to work out everybody's prayers, he just goes, yeah, yes to all of them. And the world descends into chaos. I'm glad God loves me enough not to say yes to every desire of my heart. Aren't you? Okay, so we're glad when God says no. I'm glad when God says no for uh, uh, umpteen reasons. If God had not said no to you sometimes, you would now be in the wrong job. And you'd be living probably in the wrong place. And if God had not said no to you on occasions, you might be sitting next to the wrong person. Married to the wrong person. Which is a thought. We're glad God says no. But how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? Well, we're glad God says no because we're asking for the wrong thing. And sometimes we're just simply asking with the wrong motives. James, verse 3, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, to be fair, it's often more subtle than that, isn't it? You say, Lord, I want you to do this, and it's not for me, and we have a, a good reason, in inverted commas, a good reason why God should do what we're asking of him. But so often, it's about what we think. It's about what we're asking. It's about our agenda. It's about our thoughts about what is right. It's about our thoughts about what should happen in a particular situation. I think it was Mary Peaches, uh, Pitches in her, in her book, um, uh, the God of Yesterday, or Yesterday's God, or something like that. Uh, uh, and she was talking about how, how God spoke to her about that, that core prayer in the middle of the, 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 uh, the Lord's Prayer. Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And she began to pray in every situation that she faced in her life, nothing else but that prayer. Lord, this is not about what I want. This might be my husband I'm praying for. It might be my children. I might be full of good ideas for my husband, for my children, for my job, for my best friend, whatever it might be. I have all these good ideas. But Lord, at the end of the day, your kingdom come, your will be done. And she said it was incredibly illuminating how God changed the agenda because he's in heaven and she was only on earth. We ask with the wrong motives. It's about my desires. It's about the furthering of what I think should be best. And I need to ask God to challenge my motives every single day. And then thirdly, it's just a mystery. Sometimes heaven is silent and it's just a mystery. That is a mystery to us. It's not a mystery to God, but it's just a a mystery. Luke talks about this in his uh, his story about Jesus in chapter 13. A a couple of examples. Unsuspecting worshippers are killed and and they're, they're all going to Jesus. What's the reason? What's the reason? Jesus kind of goes... It happens. It happens. 
little bit later on, a tower topples over, 18 picnickers crushed, uh, uh, um, uh, picnickers are crushed indiscriminately. Why? Why did that happen? Jesus goes, it happens. It happens, a fallen, broken world, it, it, it happens. You look for the reason all of the time. You live in this muddle we call earth that has turned its back on God, and sometimes it's just a mystery. So Paul, who saw even dead people raised because of his praying, said, I went to God with this thing, whatever it is, uh, thorn in the flesh, what do you reckon? Could be his missus, could be his eyesight, we're not really sure, all kinds of different theories about what it might be. But he says, I went with this. And God said, no. And I went again, and God said, no. And I I went again, and God said, no. And heaven is silent. So what do we do? What do you do? Where do we go when heaven is silent? Well, firstly, firstly, God is close to the brokenhearted. God is close when heaven is silent. And my invitation to you this morning, if you're feeling, I'm in this place, and heaven's not saying a dicky bird, Forget about the answer to your prayer. Invite heaven to come close. And remember Jesus in the garden. Big prayer, wasn't it? I don't want to do the cross. No mean, no small thing. And God said, no. But the angels came and ministered to him. Heaven comes, even when heaven is silent. God is close to those with broken hearts. And the people in my journey that have had the biggest impact on me, the people that seem to know Jesus in a way I long for but don't myself, are almost without exception people who in this life have suffered the most. It's a paradox, isn't it? Suffer, and yet in the midst of the silence of heaven, they found the presence of heaven which is of such greater value. God is close. God is close. And it's not the end of the story. It might be the end of the story on earth, but it's certainly not the end of the story in heaven. And then lastly, we're to pray, expecting the answer yes. Do you know you're never encouraged in the Bible to pray expecting no? Let's not, in these three Sundays, lose fact lose sight of the truth. So often in our experience, uh, we pray, we expect no, and usually get it. In the Bible, they pray expecting yes, and sometimes get a no. I know where I prefer to be. We're taught to expect yes. So how near is heaven for you today? In all the unanswered prayers. In all the, oh God, we're longing for you in this situation. And as far as we can see, and we know we're on earth and you're in heaven, and as far as we can see, you just have not come through in the way that we want you to. God is close. Heaven is near. Let's pray.